Whoops. You stumbled into that leadership position. You had a big vision, big ideas, but it hasn't gone quite as you planned. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Accidental Leader Podcast with your accidental leader, Bo McDonald. Welcome into episode number three of The Accidental Leader. I'm your host, Bo McDonald, and I, too, am an accidental leader. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for all of the, the text messages, the, the kind comments that have been coming in from episodes number one and two. I've gone solo with those, sharing a little bit about my vision for this podcast and, and helping other accidental leaders like me, and also a little bit about my leadership journey. But today, I'm excited to dive in with our very first guest, and I couldn't think of a, a better one someone that, that has had such an impact on my life in a topic that's so important to me, time. It seems like a silly word, and you're probably wondering, well, why is time so important to you? It's because as leaders, we have this unique ability to be able to control our time, unlike employees can. As a leader of a business, of an organization, we've got the ability to control our time more so than anyone else, yet we always tell ourselves this lie, I didn't have time. The truth is, we all have the same amount of hours in the day, whether it's the president of the United States, the the leaders of great companies, and and you and I, we all have 24 hours in a day. It's how we choose to use them and, and how well we manage our time. And one of the things I want to share, and I'll do an entire episode on this at some point, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dwell on it today. But one of the tricks I found is if you say it was not a priority, replace those words I didn't have time with, it wasn't a priority. Ah, gut punch. See how that changes how you decide to use your time. How many times have you said, I didn't have time to get this project done, but when you reflect back from a strategic planning session or a meeting, you decided that that was a really important task to get done. However, it it didn't get done. You replaced that with other things, maybe less meaningful for whatever reason. When you say it wasn't a priority, and then you think about what you did with your time instead of that, wow. That's, that's impactful. And we'll dedicate an entire podcast episode to that on the business side. Today, I want to talk about it on the personal side. As a leader, when you say, I didn't have time, think about that from your personal standpoint. What sporting events have you missed? What date nights have you missed? What concerts have you missed? Because they weren't a priority. Think about your kid's baseball game. You missed it. Instead of saying, I didn't have time to go. What was a priority? And that's impactful when you think about it that way. And I want to uh, flash back to 2019, a book that I read that made this so clear to me. It's called A Life Through Letters. It was authored by our guest today, Ash Davis. It made me stop and examine my entire life. The the book, A Life Through Letters, was uh, compiled by Ash Davis. It's a collection of letters that his father wrote toward the end of his life. And they were letters to every person who had touched his life in, in some way, Using the one hand that still had some degree of mobility, he, he typed these messages of rumination and appreciation to family and friends, to people, but also inanimate objects that just made a difference, made an impact in his life. And what struck me deeply about that book was not wanting to be on my deathbed, whether it be days, months, years, decades later, whenever my expiration date was or is going to be. I didn't want to be there wishing I had done things differently. I reflected on missing my grandmother's funeral for a work event. I reflected on going years between visits to my mother in New York when I was living in South Carolina. 
I considered past friendships that had just rotted away on the vine because I didn't do my share to invest in them. And I kept thinking about what my letters would look like if I had to write these letters to the people in my life. Many would be apology letters. And I just couldn't bear that thought and the feelings that it stirred within me. It was like the ghost of Christmas future if you're watching the uh, Christmas movie. And Ash's book took me through what my life might be like if I made no changes. Three, two, one. For more resources and to listen to past Accidental Leader podcast episodes, visit theaccidentalleader.com. Courtesy of our sponsors, your marketing company and Uncommon. My guest today, of course, you can tell very special to me, the author, Ash Davis, from A Life Through Letters. Ash, welcome into the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me today, and, and, and what a powerful message. Um, and, and we'll talk a lot about the book in a second and the meaning behind it and, and, and what it's meant to me. But uh, what you just said in the last three minutes is exactly the reason I wrote the book, uh, to spread my father's message and, and have him uh, touch uh, people's lives in the way that he he molded mine. So thank you so much for for your kind words and thanks for having me today. Absolutely, Ash. Before we dive into the good stuff, tell us a little bit about you. You authored this book, but you've got a life outside of writing as well. What what do you do? Yeah, so I um, it's kind of a, a myriad uh, background. I started out I was an English major, so I've always been a writer. My mom was an English teacher, and then I got into media and advertising and was a copywriter, TV, radio, print. Worked for an ad agency. Worked for a large media company for a long time. Uh, and then got in operations. And, uh, and so I was uh, VP of ops for a national media company for, for quite a long time and then left that. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, later on in the, in the conversation. But since then, I, I got, you know, I did a TED talk. I wrote the book. I got into real estate, started a real estate company. And then my family and I uh, relocated from uh, North Carolina, where I had been raised um, near Charlotte. And, um, and we live in uh, New, Jer- New Jersey now, uh, you know, 20, 20 or so miles outside of New York City. And we've got two, uh, my wife and I have two boys. One just became a teenager. So that's an interesting uh, time for everybody. So, uh, so yeah, I've had uh, a kind of a colorful background. So I, I just want to pause for a moment. How did I find you? So I'll, I'll do another episode on this at some point about introverted <laughs> leaders. I am a total introvert. When I go places, I, you typically find me sitting alone, having lunch, unless someone comes up. I can be an extrovert with the right people. But it was, uh, it was 2019. I was doing a strategic planning session for a client up in Charlotte. And it happened to be the one day I was able to, to get out of my comfort zone. And I'm so glad I did. I was sitting at this table. And one of the board members from this organization, we were talking about what we do outside of work. And I'd mentioned I'd, I'd been on a book binge. I'd been reading a lot. And he had mentioned a family member that had written a book and it happened to be you and it happened to be this book. And it's one of the times I was so glad that I was able to get out of my, my introverted ways because I, I never would have found you or this book. And yeah, that was my, that was actually my brother, Benji, who was uh, working for uh, one of the companies you guys work with was on the board of that company. So uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate. It was funny. I called him. And uh, when you told me the type of clients you work with, I had a feeling it was him. And then he goes, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. I told him about your book. So uh, I, I'm, I'm so glad you had that, that, uh, that kind of it's an accidental leadership podcast. I'm, I'm glad you had that accidental conversation with my brother. Uh, me too. I, I, I couldn't imagine what my life would 
be like if I didn't have the, these thoughts and, and, uh, and this challenge. So before we dive in, tell us a little bit about a life through letters. What is it and, and how did you get there? Yeah. So my father, before he passed away in 1987, had, um, he had a lot of health problems. As you mentioned, he, he, he typed most of this with the one hand that he had left. Uh, he had diabetes and a kidney transplant and, and uh, unfortunately lost an arm and a leg uh, to diabetes. And so he, but he wanted to kind of recap his life. And um, he had written a book previous to this. He was a minister and became a home missionary and had written a book that was a guidebook for young ministers. And um, then he decided he wanted to, because uh, he had so much time, it was a really cathartic experience for him to to write what he called his uh, memoir in letter form. So he wrote, as you said earlier, letters to people, uh, places, things throughout his life. And uh, and he, he put it in a three ring binder. And my brothers and my mother and my, my Aunt Bebe down in Mississippi, who helped him write it, um, edit it and things like that, uh, all got a copy and he, he, you know, wanted to do something with it. I think at the time he, he sent it to Reader's Digest because, you know, you're, I'm sure your parents did the same thing. A lot of people's parents did. They had that big stack of Reader's Digest. And so he thought, oh, maybe they'll pick it up. And they didn't. And it just kind of became this family treasure. That was a family history of, you know, my grandparents and now my kids, great grandparents and great aunts and uncles and people that, that they would never really know if my father hadn't written this book. And I kept it with me and, it, you know, would, would refer to it uh, quite often when I was having trouble or, you know, something was not going right in my life. I would read one of these letters and then uh, and then it disappear. You know, it'd be in a box when I would move for a couple of years and then it'd come back out. And um, actually, my wife, when we were dating, she read it and um, kind of retyped it and actually put it in a book. That's a whole other podcast I can tell you about. Uh, made it into just a book. My father titled his letters, Letters to the Past. Um, and then when I did the book, um, you know, I, I was kind of searching for what I wanted to do. I was a bit of an accidental leader as well. I was working in a large media company. I had, you know, two, 300 employees kind of in my purview and just had kind of felt like something wasn't quite going right in my life. And um, so I had a conversation with a mentor that I got to know very well in New York City by the name of Lolly Daskal, who's really focused on heart-based leadership. And I'll never forget, we were having a we were having a cocktail in a, in a place in New York City, kind of overlooking Central Park. And she just looked at me and she said, you need to find your message. Like you have something you're supposed to share with the world. I don't know what it is. I'm not telling you it's your job or it's going to, you know, you're going to quit next week and get out of the corporate world, but it's something you're supposed to share. I don't know what it is, but you need to figure it out. And um, I kind of, I took that to heart. I went home. I, uh, you know, I talked to my wife, Johanna about it. And uh, I thought, you know what? It's my dad, my dad's letters. Uh, I need to share that with the world because that really is foundational for everything I learned in my life. And then, you know, before this book was published, when I would talk to someone who might have been in a situation like you were in, maybe you were trying to find the answers to some, maybe you lost track of time, maybe you had a death in the family. I'd write them a letter and I would send them a copy of one of the letters, you know, from from my father's collection, you know, if their mother had passed away, I would send the letter that he wrote to his mother. Uh, something that happened to a family member, I might send the letter he wrote to his to my mom. Uh, and I would get such incredible feedback that I realized this is what I'm supposed to do. If I sell, and I tell people this all the time, if, if I can sell, if I had three copies of the book that people loved, and that would be my two brothers and my Aunt Bebe, four with my wife then it's a success, right? So every time I meet someone like you that has read the book and been touched by it, encouraged by it, motivated by it, um, 
it's, it's such a pleasure to have that conversation, realize that the book's a success. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what brought me to, to, to the idea of the book. And then I worked with Lolly and, you know, went through many iterations of the book uh, as if anyone that's ever written something like this, you, you kind of, you whittle down all the different ideas and how you're going to categorize them. And then what I, what was important to me was, is to do what I like to call a co-authoring with my father, a posthumous co-authoring in that not just publish the letters like he wanted to do in Reader's Digest, but really put some content and context around the letters and what did it mean? And, you know, uh, we'll talk about some of the specific letters in a bit, but, you know, my father didn't write letters around empathy or he didn't write a letter because it felt altruistic. But when you read them, there's some natural categories and that's how I created the chapters in the book. And, and then that's what, uh, that's what became a life through letters. Don't you hate when someone says to you, you've got this life changing thing coming up, like, like Lolly did for you. And you get that feeling of wanting to vomit because it, it involves <laughs> change and fear and risk. And you just want to say, no, I'm sorry, you're full of crap. You're, yeah, you're wrong. Yeah, there was something was, in your coffee this morning that's making you talk crazy. It like was, that. uh, that's why I can remember vividly exactly where I was, where I was sitting, who was around me, because it really was one of those things where I could have retreated back into that corporate world and just forgotten about it. But um, it really struck a chord with me. And she's an amazing person. And, um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was quite an epiphany for me. And, and I'm so glad that I had that conversation and, and, and the results of it have been amazing. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation like that where where a, a leader, a, a mentor, a friend says something and, and you just look at them and it's that gut punch. And you're like, please be wrong. I, I don't want to <laughs> listen to you. And, and you put it off. And, and I always encourage other younger leaders that I'm mentoring to, to find those people in your life that are going to speak truth even when you don't want to hear yep. it like that. That's when you need to hear it. Absolutely. Yeah. So some of the stories in the book, you said that the topics vary and that they most certainly do. They're to people, they're to pills. They're so different, but there's got to be one story to you that, that sticks out. And I don't, I don't want to give away the entire books. I want folks to, to read it and experience it, but give us just one story out of there that you say, this really touched me. And I, I had to share this one. If I share nothing else. I won't give too much away in the book, but it, it, I, I, so I'll give the first letter. And there's a reason it's the first letter that's in the book. And it's, it's, in, it's titled A Letter to the Stone Man. And uh, just real briefly in 30 seconds, it's about a time in my father's life where he was a very young, young boy. He wasn't even a young man. I think he was 10 or 11 years old. And there was this gentleman in the small, very rural town where he grew up in Lula, Mississippi. And uh, every day the kids would be playing and they would see this uh, man who was kind of shriveled up and gray and almost looked locked into one position. And that's how he got the, the nickname Stone Man. But every day somebody would put him on a, a hospital bed and they would wheel him out under a tree overlooking Moon Lake. And uh, and he would sit there. And uh, and so every day my father would see him. And as he got older and had his own health problems and began to realize the frailties of life that you don't really put together when you're 10 or 11 years old. He realized that, uh, you know, I wish I had gone to that man and uh, just said hello. Um, and he says in the book that he, he didn't know if he would be a, a welcomed intrusion or a nuisance. And, but regardless, he wished that he had taken the time to go and, and speak to him so he wouldn't be so lonely. And that really struck me in a couple of ways. One, just encompasses everything we should be doing as humans, uh, reaching out, 
helping those less fortunate, uh, talking to people. He, he and, and they don't have to be less fortunate. They could be someone like you or I who are just in a bad spot. Maybe you haven't heard from in a while and you don't know what's going on in their life. And maybe they're having a hard time and your phone call or uh, your letter would get them out of that. And then it became very foundational, I think, for my father. He became, he was a minister and was in a church and, you know, preached and all that. But he, he became a bit disillusioned with that. At some point, and, uh, you know, if you've ever been in and around a church, as I was as a child, there's a lot of politics involved. And um, so he became a home missionary. So it didn't really change his uh, faith. What it did was change his focus. And, um, and then he started, you know, working with migrants and going into prisons and have a, ju- a juvenile, um, you know, working with a juvenile court to have a ministry for them and take him on camping trips and expose them to other things. And he had toy stores and clothing stores and um, Christmas stores, you know, all, all free of charge. And he, he did that through the, the, the home missionary organization uh, throughout the country. And so, you know, I think that the reason he did that went back to what happened to him when he was 10 and 11 years old and his message about the stone man. And then what really struck me, uh, quite honestly, is, you know, as my father, you know, progressed in his illness and, um, you know, had the kidney transplant and then developed diabetes and lost an arm and a leg and had neuropathy and could barely use the one hand he had left. He, um, in a very full circle kind of way, became the stone man. And um, he talks about that when you read the letters and you read how he feels about it. Uh, he felt isolated and alone and at home and nobody was knocking on the door. And, and so that to me really just talks about not just my father. Some of, this, some of the letters are very personal about me and my aunts and my, my mom and my brothers, but this is such a universal message of empathy and caring for other others and really understanding how frail we are as humans. And if we don't take the time, back to your point earlier, to have those conversations and make those attempts where we can, we're going to regret it. And I think that letter is such a powerful letter of caring and empathy, but also, uh, you know, really tinged with regret that my father, I think, spent a good portion of his life trying to to make right, even though as a 10-year-old, you shouldn't feel regret for not, you know, kind of going up to people. A lot of us as adults can't do it. But yeah, so that was very powerful. That's, you know, not to ramble on about that letter, but I love that letter. I read it. It's very difficult for me to read. Quite frankly, it's very difficult for me to talk about without getting emotional and um, a tear in my eye. So that, that would be the one letter I would I would highly recommend. If you don't get past the first chapter, then then you you should have learned something in the book. You know, just think about that for a moment. Your your father is the stone man so many decades later, and you think about the book with the stories and the thoughts. As a 10-year-old, if, if he had gone up to that stone man that he was talking about, think about the stories that he would have heard and learned. And you know, at the age of 10, you think oh, this crazy old guy that just talks a lot at the age of 40. You look at that and say, I want to spend as much time as I can with you because you are a goldmine of of stories and and information and how that perspective changes. Yes, 100%. Yeah, and that's really kind of going back to my father's telling of his life through this book is is I'm, I'm so fortunate. And there's some pictures I don't think they're on my website, but I use them in some of my presentations. You, uh, you saw them when we were together um, down in New Orleans. But, uh, you know, of my, my boys, it's so important for my boys to read this book. And they were, you know, they were with me the night I launched the book and uh, had, uh, you know, just an, this amazing night 
where I had the book launch and it was a local co- I'm a big coffee shop guy. You and I've had those conversations. So it was at the coffee shop where I, where I used to hang out and wrote a lot of the book. And uh, I was actually talking, I played golf with a buddy of mine a couple months ago. And he was telling the story about how, you know, he, the night we were going to do it, you know, it was a book launch. It was at a coffee shop. You think, okay, there may be 15, 20 people there. And uh, so he called another friend of ours and said, listen, I don't know what you're doing, but you got to get off the couch. We're going to go. We're going to take the time and we're going to go support Ash because he's got this book coming out. And, you know, it's at a coffee shop. There'll probably be like 12 people there. And uh, and that night, uh, I think we had maybe I had 200 books on hand and they were all gone by the end of the night. I mean, I had it was such a great turnout and, and really kind of kind of kind of gave me some. Um, you know, a, a tremendous amount of gratitude for the people in my life who took the time to your point. And, and that meant so much to me and it meant so much to my family to be a part of that. But it, to your point, if you don't take the time, right, if my buddy Jay did not take the time to come there, it wouldn't have that story. And you just think about all the opportunities you miss in life when you don't, when you uh, kind of overlook things or put things off or blow things off or say no. Sometimes you just have to say yes and dive in. So it sounds like you, you've Spoken to a lot of readers. You've you sold more than the four books you had hoped to sell. Yeah, <laughs> a lot more, but uh, more than four. <laughs> you've spoken at a lot of conferences, mine including. We, we had you down in New Orleans back in October uh, to to speak to our clients about this. Yep. As you've interacted with the readers, what is one of the most impactful stories that, that someone has shared with you about a, a life change or or how your father's stories have impacted them? Wow. Uh, it, it is tough to, to pinpoint. I think the probably the one, you know, people that know me like to read the one about me and um, realize that at one point I was going to be named Stephen, which I can't even, nothing against people named Stephen, but uh, it doesn't seem to fit. You know, once you have kids, you realize the, the names you were thinking about. The, the only one that worked was the one you went with. So the stone man tends to resonate the most with people. I've had a lot of people talk about the pill. Uh, because of their own health struggles or people in their family struggles. I think one of the most interesting encounters and, and probably one of the most beneficial encounters that I had with someone around the book was actually a group of people. It was the day I gave the TEDx talk in Charlotte. Uh, I was the, the last speaker in the, in the morning session. And uh, as we went to lunch, I, I heard somebody yelling, you know, uh, Mr. Davis, Mr. Davis, which still at 54 is, is, uh, is I, I still don't, necessarily answer to it. I still think it's my father when they say Mr. Davis, but uh, I turned around and it was a group of high school kids and, uh, and their teacher from their, uh, one of their English classes uh, there in Lake Norman. And I went over and I said, Hey, can I help you? And they said, yeah, we just wanted to let you know. And this young lady who was you know, junior in high school said, I just want to let you know, you, your talk was our favorite talk of the morning by far. And she relayed to me the story of um, how she wrote to her grandmother on a regular basis and um, actually spent about 30 minutes with them and then developed a relationship, went to the school, gave us, you know, a workshop to uh, the class. And then actually they had an internal, you know, kind of their own version of a Ted talk that they did. I helped coach some of the kids and and became, you know, spent a couple of years kind of uh, involved with them. And so it was, it was great to see because I think that what one, one of the things I've found um, through this whole process is that uh, even though people are focused on social media and text, and if you're in you know, your, your, your world of marketing, it's, it's certainly overtaken that, but there's still this um, affinity and there's still this collection of people who find the joy and the, and the time 
to share the message of letter writing. And I think having that experience was great. Uh, w- one of the other things I'll say is, and this was this precluded the book, but when I used to specifically share the letters, uh, I remember I had a very good friend whose mother passed away. And uh, so I sent him a note, obviously, of condolence, but I included in that note the letter that my father wrote to my mother, to my grandmother, who was Nana. And uh, it talked about his childhood and how much uh, she meant to him and what she did for him and how he remembered that as a you know, 50, almost 60 year old man. And the conversations that lead from that are so powerful because it it forces people in a way to remember those same things about their life and the people that they love. And then, and then that leads to another letter inevitably. And um, so, uh, you know, not a specific instance, but uh, a couple of examples where people have certainly been touched by the letters and, 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 and the message, which is why I followed up the book with the Ted talk, Ted talk on the subject. You know, it was that very letter that, that you had mentioned that made me write my uncle. After this book, I'd, I'd written several letters. My uncle was on there. He'd just come through a, a horrible cancer scare. He wasn't expected to survive. It was one of those cancers where, where you just kind of know this is probably it. And somehow, some way, he, he managed to get through that. And I'd written a letter and I, I talked about my memories of growing up and always spending Thanksgiving at his house. And, and I, I remember the stuffing. For whatever reason, it sounds like the silliest thing. But I make that every year because it it reminds me of of him. It reminds me of of that time, and and I hadn't seen him in years. And it was several weeks after that I, I went to New York and made it a point to go visit him. And he shared just how much that letter meant to him after after coming through that horrible cancer scare and and reliving some of those memories in that letter and and just how impactful it was. I thought it was impactful to me. We both had a good cry over it. We we'd, yeah, there's yeah. some du- dust in my eye at that point. And, and it was just so impactful, especially to hear from him, what, what it meant to him and, and how it conjured up those memories for him, too. Yeah, it's really amazing. I'll, I'll, uh, one of the things I will share in terms of letter writing is I remember when I was writing the book, I thought, you know what, I should, um, I should as you know, my father would have said, I should practice what I, when I'm preaching a little bit. So I started writing to people and I wrote a, a, a dear friend of mine in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, uh, you know, no, just how are you? I'm thinking about you. Yeah, I really appreciate our friendship, things like that. And uh, he calls me four or five days later and he's like, hey, buddy, what's going on? I said, you know, nothing's hanging out, doing this, doing that. He goes, everything OK? I said, yeah, everything's great. He said, nothing going on. You, are you sick or anything? I was like, no, nah, I'm great. Why? He goes, well, I got this letter and I, I just didn't know if maybe you were like, going through an illness or maybe doing rehab or something and having to you know, like reach out to people in your life. And I was like, no, man, I was just. And so then I explained the whole concept of the book and what I was doing. And it, it gave me such a, first, it was kind of funny, but then it made me realize the importance of this book in that, you know, uh, you know, if I had sent him a text and just said, hey, what's going on? Thinking about you, it would, it would have gone right over his head and, and he would have appreciated it, I'm sure. But the next day it would have been out of his mind. Uh, that letter had such an impact. Uh, and it's such a rare thing that people get now that he thought something was wrong with me, as opposed to me just wanting to tell him what he meant to me and what, what he meant to my life. And uh, so I found that to be very kind of to your point about how, you had such a reaction to that letter and what the conversation that came from it. 
I think the power of the letter is not just in the recipient, but also in the sender. Uh, and that feeling of gratitude and warmth is, uh, is something that, that can be mutually observed. So this letter writing thing, there's probably people listening to this saying, letters, paper, what is this? It's a, it's a digital world now. Why can't you just email someone or post on their Facebook page? We did an amazing exercise at, at our family meeting. It's what we call our client meeting every year down in New Orleans back in October. You walked our clients through the exercise of, of letter writing. In this, in this digital world, tell us about how to do this. What, what is the exercise we walked through just for our listeners so they can maybe get an idea of how to start, where to start, and, and how, to, how to do this thing? So uh, it's, it's a very interesting uh, question, and I get it a lot. I like to tell this story about um, a young woman at one of my seminars. Uh, we you know, always ask the question if you write letters or notes or anything, and people say yes or no, or I, I wish I did. I wish I had more time. All, you know, I, get, I can come up with you know, probably 20 answers that I've gotten to that question. But this one young lady in the back raised her hand and uh, and I said, you know, I called on her. I said, do you write letters? She said, no. I said, why? And she said, I'm terrified to write a letter. And uh, I, I stopped for a second because that's a, that's a pretty strong world to, word to use for, uh, you know, putting pen to paper. I said, what, uh, what could possibly terrify you about writing a letter? And she said, I'm afraid that I will say the wrong thing. And I thought about that for a minute and I, and I told her, I said, the thing you have to do when you're going to uh, write a letter, quite frankly, do anything. Uh, start this podcast, for instance, right? You just have to do it. You have to start. And there's some things you can look at. And I, you know, I've got some things on my website around how you structure a letter and what types of things can you say. And we talked about that in our, in our seminar down in New Orleans. But at the, at the end of the day, you really just have to start and you have to realize this. This is what I tell people all the time. It's not the specifics of the letter that are going to be remembered. It's the spirit of the letter. And what I mean by that is people are going to, that feeling that you're going to get, that feeling that your uncle had when he received that letter that led to your conversation, that's what's going to be remembered. They're not going to remember if you said the wrong word or misspelled something or didn't put the punctuation right. I mean, she told me, she goes, if I try to write a note, I'll tear up 15 copies of it before I ever even get to one that's close. And then I just give up. That's not what people remember. They remember the spirit of the letter. And an example of that is after I left the corporate world, I mean, it's been eight years now, uh, a few years after that, not even a few years, a few months after that, I got a letter from a young man who was junior to me in the organization by a couple of levels. But, uh, you know, I took the time to have lunch with him. He would, he would, you know, send me an email and say, hey, could I get your advice? And so I, I became a mentor to him, but then we became friends and we're still in touch and we still, but he, a couple months after I left, he wrote me this letter of gratitude. And it was really saying thank you for taking the time, you know, someone at the VP level to take the time to have lunch with me, to give me advice, to, to, to mentor me meant so much. That's the spirit of that letter. Now, I can't tell you a specific word that was contained in that two-page letter. It's here somewhere in my home. We just moved, so it's in a box because I kept it as I do all the letters I receive. But the spirit of the letter is what matters. That's what really matters. And that's what I tell people to focus on, not the logistics or the semantics or the, you know, am I picking the right word or did I do the right spacing or what if I, you know, the E 
funny. People get hung up on all that. It's really the spirit of the message that matters because that's what's going to carry through. And that's what people are going to hold on to. And that's what people are going to remember about your interaction with them through that action of putting pen to paper. You know, it was, I, I went through the same thing when I was penning that first letter to my uncle. I kept thinking, what, what is he going to think about this? And, and it's amazing when, when he got it and, and, and we spoke later, he didn't say anything about misspellings or, or grammatical issues. I'm sure there were some in there. It's not the point. It, it, like you said, it, it's the spirit. It, it's, it's the content. It, it's the emotion. My guess is no one's going to judge you for your, your, your lack of English skills. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm right there. I, I, I went through the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's wrap this up. Let's talk about how people can get this book. It's a, it's a life through letters. Talk to us about your website, about your speaking engagements. Where can people find this book? Yeah, they can go to a life through letters.com. If they don't happen to be in a board meeting with my brother to find out about the book, they can also go on YouTube and just put in Ashley Davis uh, TEDx talk and my talk will come up if they want to watch that. Uh, on my website, they can order the book. It's on Amazon.com. It's on BarnesandNoble.com. There's a link on my website, website LifeThroughLetters.com, that'll take them straight there. Uh, and then on there, there's actually uh, to your to your question earlier around how do they start. I've actually developed a little the one sheeter that I shared with your uh, with your folks down in New Orleans. That that's available for free on there. They can print that out, and it gives them you know, some of the basic uh, information around writing a letter like we talked about, but also uh, some prompts and to whom you can write and things like that. So uh, yeah, my, you know, my email's on there, my phone number's on the website. I would, you know, I love doing things like this, whether it's a podcast or a Zoom. I did a lot of that over, you know, over the last three years with COVID, but uh, I love getting out and doing the things like we did in New Orleans, spending time with people talking about my father and the message. So um, yeah, they can reach out uh, through the website and uh, hopefully they, they get something out of the, the book and the message. And um, what I really enjoy about it is meeting people like you. And uh, you know, because I don't know that our paths would have crossed had it not been for my decision to, uh, to write this book. And that has opened up so many doors for me and led to so many conversations and, and really, Quite frankly, for me personally, as I said earlier around the number of books I sold, it's really about introducing uh, the spirit of my father and the message that he had in life to other people uh, because it's meant so much to me and has, has been foundational in who I am and uh, it has really uh, guided me in what I'm trying to teach my own boys as they kind of progress into their teenage years and then go out on their own. So um, I really appreciate the time and, uh, and uh, hopefully we get to as I tell everybody that I interact with, do a lot more things together in the future. You know, it's amazing how things come together. I, I always happen to find these books and somehow I read them in order and, and it all just kind of makes sense. I, I started uh, some of the Ryan Holiday books. Uh, he, he really talks about the study of stoicism and, and going back not just decades, but hundreds of years to, to thought leaders from, from the times of, of the 1400, even before that. And a lot of it is talking about death, which a lot of us don't want to think about. But the study of stoicism, you're, you're aware that you're going to die. It's going to happen. It could happen today. And under the study of stoicism, the, the big question is, are you prepared? You still have time. And, and this book really puts things into perspective. Uh, I have this quote from, uh, from one of the, the Christmas movies, Ghost of the Future, 
I fear you more than any I have seen, but as I know your purpose is to do me good, as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I'm prepared to bear your company and do it with a thankful heart. That is the way that that I, I think about stoicism, thinking about the future, what could be. And of course, this podcast, it's not about volume. Maybe four people will listen to it, much like you thought uh, would would buy your book. Hopefully, more than four people will listen to the the podcast as well. It's about speaking truth, sharing mistakes, teaching all that I've learned about, sharing all of this with, with fellow accidental leaders, because I don't think any of us have been schooled in being a leader, born a natural leader. There's a lot to learn. That's what this podcast is all about. Ash, thank you so much for joining us and, and being my ghost of Christmas future. Well, Bo, thank you so much for having me and um, thanks for including me in everything you're doing. And I just, I really appreciate that. And I, and I hope people enjoy the book. Absolutely. Ash, before we go, give us that website address one more time. Absolutely. It's a life through letters, a life through letters.com. That's where you'll find everything that the Ted talks there as well. So you don't even have to go to YouTube. It's all in one stop shop. Perfect. Ash, thanks so much. Thank you very next, much. Next guest, episode number four, Brian Rollo is going to be up. It's a little bit of a lighter conversation. I promise we won't talk about death as much. Uh, Brian's a leadership coach that does an amazing job of increasing productivity with teams, increasing performance and engagement, uh, especially if you've got a team that you're saying they're, they show up for a paycheck. That's about it. Brian's an awesome guy to to talk to and, and learn from with that. I've seen his work over the last several years. He's He should be an accidental leader's first call to start that leadership growth journey. And I'm so excited to have Brian on episode number four of the Accidental Leader Podcast coming up next. For more resources and to listen to past Accidental Leader Podcast episodes, visit theaccidentalleader.com, courtesy of our sponsors, your marketing company and Uncommon.